We'll be looking at verses 23 to 28 uh, this morning. As we come to the end of this, let me ask you a question. What do you think is the most popular Bible verse? Any, any, any guesses? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Maybe. Any other, any other guesses, thoughts, suggestions? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Maybe, yeah. Any other, any other guesses? Any other? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> close. Well, okay, maybe not close. I think we'd be pretty hard pressed to to determine confidently what the most Bible popular Bible verse of all time is, but. In this day and age of data collection and technology, uh, Amazon tells us that in their NIV Bible that they sell, the most highlighted Bible verse is Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pretty good verse. In Australia, anxiety and depression are on the rise. According to Beyond Blue, uh, the mental health advocacy and support group, uh, it's estimated that 45% of Australians will experience some kind of mental health condition in their lifetime. Uh, Some of you here are no strangers to the challenges of mental health. And certain people may have had their mental health challenged yesterday at the election. But it's not just an issue that affects us in Australia. It's a global phenomenon. It's something that affects all of human nature and human experience. Uh, In Korea, I read a story recently. In Korea, there is a prison. A prison where people pay to go. It's about 120 Australian dollars for 24 hours in solitary confinement. No phones, no clocks, no people. People pay to go. And they get, a, they get a blue prison uniform, they get a yoga mat, a tea set, a pen and a notebook. They sleep on the floor, there's a small toilet, there's no mirror. The menu consists of steamed sweet potatoes and banana shake for dinner and rice porridge for breakfast. I don't know how appealing that sounds to you. But after saying this is something that someone said, this is not a prison. The real prison is where we return to. People go there to get away, to try and find peace. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. While technology improves many parts of our lives, it's also destroying the lives of people as they spiral into deeper loneliness, anxiety, depression and stress. And these Paul, these words that we read are... Uh, Talk of a God of peace. And I think more than ever, he is needed more and more in this generation. Paul writes this letter to remind the church, the Thessalonians, of the core aspects, the core tenets of our faith. Uh, And he wants to encourage them to persevere in this faith. 
uh, particularly as if you remember in the face of persecution and suffering. Uh, This church was born in the midst of persecution and suffering. And he reminds them that the power of the gospel is there to transform them and sustain them. He reminds them that we live in the light of eternity because there is a future hope. And that we live each day with intention and purpose. Uh, He encourages the church to keep their eyes on Jesus, waiting, ready and prepared for the day that he will come again. Uh, And he challenges them to grow in this gospel, to live out the gospel, and to become more like Jesus. And that's what we've seen through this letter, I hope. As we get to the end of this letter, uh, it's easy to hear all the things that Paul talks about that I've just mentioned. And it's easy to be more anxious, it's easy to be more depressed about trying to live this gospel life, this Christian life. uh, To put your faith into practice and trying to remember all of this when you wake up each morning. But Paul's not done. We're, We're at the end of the letter and Paul's not done. Even in these few verses, there is a wealth of things that he says to us. Uh, As we go through, uh, can we just get the outline up? We're going to look at four things this morning. We're going to look at the God of peace. We're going to look at the God of sanctification. We're going to look at what it means to have complete sanctification. And lastly, completed sanctification. So we're going to look at those four things this morning. Uh, so we, we may go a little bit over time, but please follow along as we go through this passage. Verse 23, Paul writes, Now may the God of peace himself, may the God of peace himself. There's, I don't know if you've ever thought, does this true peace really exist? Is it really possible? In the Roman Empire, the world of Jesus, Paul and the early church, it was a relative period of peace. It was a relatively long period of peace. Uh, And uh, Caesar Augustus, uh, the first emperor, called this period the Pax Romana. You may have heard that term, the Pax Romana. It means the Roman peace. And it was his guarantee that there would be law, order and stability for the people of Rome of the Roman Empire. But here's the catch though, because if you know your history, it wasn't necessarily a time of peace. This peace was only guaranteed for the citizens so long as you fell in line and submitted to Roman rule. That was the condition for the Pax Romana. The emperor would guarantee peace so long as you submitted to him. And this is the world of the early church that we we read about in, in Scripture. And maybe you've tried different attempts to find peace and there's no shortage of ideas or methods to try and find peace. Uh, You go out and search them. There's mountains of books, magazines and blogs and various therapies and relaxation tips, Uh, happiness and motivational self-help, new age spirituality, personal transformation, stress management, finding success, and of course, who could forget Maria Kondo, uh, the life-changing magic of tidying. There is no end to this search for peace and ways to find peace. But the simple premise is the same across the board. If you do this, whether that's a method, whether that's 
some sort of practice, whatever it is. If you do this, then you will find peace or joy in life. If you submit to Rome, you will have peace. If you declutter your life, you'll find peace. But what's God's take on this? What does Jesus have to say? In, in John 14, John, uh, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. A little bit further down the track in John 16, he writes this, to, says this to his disciples. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Now here's the kicker. When Jesus says these things, they are moments before his betrayal and his subsequent crucifixion and death on the cross. He says these very words moments before he is betrayed and eventually crucified on the cross. In the midst of life's storms, this God of peace gives you his peace. Not as the world gives, but his peace by overcoming the world. He overcomes the world. And how does he do that? He overcomes the world by going to the cross. He goes to the cross in our place by giving up and sacrificing his life on the cross so that your heart, my heart, might not be troubled or afraid, instead that you might receive peace. He goes to the cross to overcome the world so that you might have peace. What does this piece look like? Let me, let me illustrate. Some of you may have seen this painting before. Uh, next. Yep. Oh, skip going. Anyone seen this painting before? No? This painting uh, is by a man called Jack Dawson. And it is titled, Peace in the Midst of the Storm. Now, it's a bit hard to see. It's a bit small. If you see the real thing, it's, it's a lot easier to pick. But can anyone see peace in that picture? I'll give you 10 seconds. Anyone? If you look at about a third, two-thirds of the way down in the, uh, in the picture, right in the middle, there's a bird's nest. There's a bird's nest nestled in the rock. It's really hard to see, sorry. Um, and because this painting is for sale, you can't actually get a blown-up picture, otherwise that would be an infringement of copyright. Anyway, the piece is a bird in a nest in the midst of all of that. And that is peace. That is peace. Peace is not being removed from the storm of life. It is being with Jesus in the midst of it. Now, the, 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 the artist himself points out other things in this painting that might not be so obvious. Uh, the top left rock face is a picture of Jesus, his face, the, fa the face of Jesus. Um, this large, kind of darker rock face on the right here is the face of a beast threatening the, the bird's nest. It's a bit harder to see. If you sit down with me later, I can kind of draw it out for you. Um, and on that beast is a cross. 
And somewhere hidden in there is uh, meant to be the empty tomb, but it's a bit harder to see. Um, But see, this is peace. Peace is being in the midst of a storm, but being there with Jesus. Jesus is our rock. He doesn't take away the storm, but he's there with us through it. And in the face of evil, the cross overcomes the world. It overcomes evil. And we have this promise of new life because of the resurrection. We talked about that at Easter. We have this promise of new life, new hope because of the resurrection. And this is peace. It's walking through the storm. It's walking through the hardship and the challenges of life. Not detached or untouched by them as, as so many therapies and meditation and strategies will tell you. Get away from it. But instead we walk through it and we walk through it with Jesus who is our rock. Peace is finding rest in Jesus the Redeemer who sacrificed his his life on the cross so that we might have peace and hope for today. And it's this kind of peace that allows you to continue with life after the sudden death of a family member. It's this kind of peace that allows you to be extremely crazy and sit your exams weeks after their death. It's this kind of peace that allows you to stand and support your family through their grief while you're grieving. It's this kind of peace that held me as my dad passed away in the night a few years back. It's this kind of peace that only comes from God. It's not being detached, it's not being taken away, it's not being removed from a situation or the storms of life, but instead Jesus being with you in the midst of it. That is peace. Roman peace was achieved through submission to power. Worldly peace is found by detaching yourself from reality and escaping this storm. But God's peace is found when you entrust your life to Jesus to walk with you through those storms. That's peace. And that's peace that the world cannot give. Any questions uh, before we move on? Lots of process. Not going easy on you guys. But this is peace. Let's move on. Now may the God of peace, so we've talked about this God of peace, may the God of peace himself, not someone else, not some other agent or third party, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. We've talked about this the last few weeks. God's will is your sanctification. That is the process of making you more like Jesus holy and set apart from the world. And this is a process that will continue until the end of time, a little bit later on, so that you may be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. From now until Jesus comes again, you are in the process of being made like Jesus. It doesn't happen overnight, doesn't happen in a month, doesn't happen in a year. Change will happen in that time, it is a process, but... It will continue to happen until Jesus comes again. And God himself will do this. God himself will make you like Jesus. 
We've seen in the last few weeks that the goal is righteousness, holiness and perfection. But this process isn't reliant on you reaching some goal of perfection. That's not the goal. And I said a few weeks ago, that's not peaceful. Trying to achieve perfection on your own terms is not peaceful. It's stressful. No, this process rests totally in the hands of God. In verse 24, he says, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Earlier in the letter, similarly, Paul says at the end of chapter 3, May the God, our, Father, our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is a process that God is doing in you as you give your life to him. In Philippians, Paul puts it this way, I am sure of this, that he who began a work in you, a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When God calls you in Jesus, when you give your life to him, he calls you into his family, into the family of God, he adopts you as his son or his daughter, the son and daughter of a king. He gives you his Holy Spirit to work out his plan and purpose for you, this plan and purpose for you, to be more like Jesus. As you rest in everything that he's done for you, that Jesus has done for you, he works in you through his Holy Spirit. It's not through striving to achieve this goal of perfection or holiness or goodness or whatever you want to pursue. It is about resting and knowing that it is done in Jesus. On the cross, Jesus in his final breath says, It is finished. No more trying, no more striving, no more stressing and being anxious and depressed about life. It is finished. It is done. And we rest. We rest. We find peace knowing that God is going to transform us and make us like Jesus. It's like a coach saying to an athlete training for the Olympics, you are going to win gold at the Olympics and I guarantee it. You have a coach like that, you're like, you're crazy. No one can guarantee that. But then the coach begins to put the athlete through a training program and the athlete needs to trust that the coach is going to deliver. And God says to us, you will be perfect you will be perfect and I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And then like the coach, God starts this process of making us more like Jesus. And so yes, we're involved in this process. But the guarantee is in not how much effort we put in, but in God. That God has completed the work and will guarantee our perfection and all that we imagine. No earthly coach can guarantee a gold medal. No one. But here God, the God of peace, guarantees that we will be perfect and he does that by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross to deal with our brokenness and our sin. And then he doesn't end there. He raises Jesus from the dead to demonstrate that he can deliver on his promise. 
Jesus is our guarantee. He is the proof that God can deliver. And he guarantees perfection for you and I. And we rest. We find peace knowing that God guarantees that. And this is why Paul twice in this letter reminds us to encourage one another with these words. When we're defeated, when we're discouraged by life's storms, we need to encourage and support each other. And Paul's no stranger to this. Look at verse 25. He says, pray for us. He knows that he can't do this on his own. He needs the brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for him. He then goes on to tell the church to greet the brothers and sisters in Christ with a kiss. Now, don't go start doing that, please. Most of you will probably run away anyway. But here's Paul's point. You can't encourage one another unless there is genuine affection and love for one another. So, don't go around kissing each other, but encourage love and have affection for one another that we may encourage each other as we find ourselves in moments where we're discouraged and we're defeated by life's storms. Encourage one another. Greet one another in Jesus. And then verse 27, he tells the church to read this letter, not to just who's there, but to everyone, to all the brothers and sisters. He doesn't want anyone to miss out on this news, on this encouragement that he's writing to them. And I'll say it over and over again. We can't do this. We can't do this alone. We can't live the gospel life. We can't live out our faith on our own. It doesn't work. We need one another to encourage one another and build one another up. And that's why we're here together. That's why God puts us together, so that we can do that. Any questions at this point? Keep thinking. Thinking is good. Let's keep going. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. What does it say? Completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. This process of sanctification, making us more like Jesus, is total. It is total in its application. Head to toe, head to heart, physical to spiritual and everything in between, God wants to sanctify you completely, spirit, soul and body. We like boxes. We, we like compartments. We like keeping things separate. And it's easier to make sense of life when we have those boxes separate. School life over here, work over here, political views over here, religion and spirituality over here. My kids do not like their food touching. The sauce cannot touch the meat. I don't get it. Messes with their mojo or something. But we don't like the different parts of our lives touching each other. We like our things separate. We like our boxes and compartments. We separate the secular from the sacred. We separate our heads from our hearts. We separate our school or work friends from our church friends. We separate our neighbours from our church community. We separate our ministries, kids, youth, young adults, working adults, single, married families, etc. Am I on a hobby horse? Yes, I am. But we separate things. We try and make things easier by separating things. And we like it that way. 
bit like some Mars bar. Mars bars, anyone? Imagine eating a Mars bar, room temperature Mars bar, separately. You start and you eat all the chocolate on the outside. And caramel's going to start oozing out. It, it becomes a mess. It doesn't work. You eat a Mars bar, you eat all of it together. Chocolate, caramel, nougat in all its goodness. You eat it all together. But you separate it, it becomes a mess. And the gospel life, the Christian life, our faith doesn't work when we try and separate things into different parts. It doesn't work. It's not how God designed us. It's not how God made us. God's not interested in simply transforming your religion or your spirituality. He is interested in transforming every part of your life. From the moment you wake up, you deal with grumpy parents or kids, depending which side of the spectrum you're on, to the moment you stumble into bed after wrestling with life, school, work and all the rest. He wants to deal with all of it. He wants to transform you from the inside out, outside in. He wants to transform the way you think, decide, feel, relate, dress, talk and even walk. He wants to transform your purpose for life, study, work, relationships. He wants to transform the way that you think about the environment, justice, money, people, sex, politics, the world and the list goes on. There's nothing that God leaves untouched, that he wants to leave untouched. No stone unturned. God wants to transform you completely, spirit, soul and body. And that is a process. And it will take time. He may start with one part, but eventually he wants to do the whole deal. He doesn't just want to renovate the bedroom. He doesn't just want to renovate the bathroom. He wants to renovate the whole house. Repaint inside, out, new carpets, new... New, new ceilings, new, new blinds. He wants to do the whole thing. And he wants to do this so that you will be blameless, perfect, when Jesus comes again. Any questions before we move on? Keep thinking, always ask questions, no dumb questions. Let's finish this off. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think, as I've said before, some of the best words in scripture, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God wants to sanctify you completely. Whole, your whole spirit, body and soul. That you will be blameless, perfect at the coming of Jesus. And he's faithful. He is faithful. And he will see it through. God's, on, God's in this for the long haul. He's not just going to stick around for a season and see if you perform well. No, he's going to stick with you all the way to the end. And Jesus promises that he will always be with us. He does that at the end of the Great Commission. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
And Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Not just talking about prayer. When two or three gather in my name, I am there with them. We need each other as we walk with Jesus. Jesus is with us personally. He is with us communally and he is with us corporately. Jesus will never let you go. And instead he invites you to find him, to come to him and find peace, to find rest in everything he's done for you through this life, his life, death and resurrection. He invites you to find rest, find peace. And in doing that, we need to take a long-term view. We're short-term people. We have short-sightedness when it comes to looking at life. But we need to take a long-term view, an eternal view of our walk with Jesus. Yes, the Holy Spirit can change things in a heartbeat, but He rarely does that. He might change one part of our lives, but rarely the whole... We're not perfect in a moment. It's a process. And it is a journey of wrestling with God, wrestling to submit and trust Him with all of life. And for many of us, and I know it's true of me, that we feel like we're crawling along at this snail's pace, just going really slowly. And it's really hard to take an objective look at life when you're stuck in the middle. I don't know if you've ever seen a snail one day and then a week later you see this silver trail and it's like, where is it gone? It's really hard to see how God continues to work in you, to sanctify you, to transform you, to make you more like Jesus when you're stuck in the midst of it. And again, that's why we need each other so we can have people who are on the outside who can go, you know, you're growing. You're changing. God's working in you. It is really hard to be objective to yourself. Let me encourage you, and this is something that I don't do enough of and I don't think any, most people do enough of. Take some time to do a spiritual stock take. Reflect not only the past month and the past week, but take time to reflect over years. Over years. That's not easy. Because you need time and space to do that. But reflect and see how God has worked in you. Even the Christian who becomes and trusts his faith in Jesus today can look over the years and see how God's been working in their lives. God is always at work in the life of his people. Look at the way. Search for the ways that God is at work in your life. Take a spiritual stop take. And as you do this, and this is the thing, it doesn't matter if you do it in the past week, the past month or the past year or whatever. As you do that, you need to be gracious with yourself. You need to show yourself mercy. Because this is a process. It is a process of becoming more like Jesus. It is a process of change. That takes time. Now this doesn't mean that we get complacent or comfortable with our walk with Jesus. But we don't beat ourselves up when we feel like we fail. Jesus doesn't let you do that. He doesn't let you do that. He did not go to the cross so that you could beat yourself up because 
you can't see the things that he is doing in your life. No, he says, I've done it. It is finished. My grace is sufficient for you. The best fruit trees are the ones that endure and persevere through the seasons. I am no gardener, by the way. But the best trees are the ones that are not new. They give life through the seasons of spring and summer. They prepare to rest through the autumn and they rest and sleep through the winter. And all the while, the gardener comes through and he prunes them to stimulate new growth, waters them to feed them, and plants other plants around them. You want to grow a good garden, you can't just have one tree or one plant. You need other plants that will then attract the right bugs and not the wrong ones to kill them and turn them away and repel them. A good garden, a good gardener knows these things. It's not just tending to one plant and giving it everything it needs. It needs other plants around it to ensure that it grows. And for the Christian, for for the people, for us who seek to become more like Jesus, to grow in the gospel, this is no different. There are times for growth and there are times for rest. And this rest isn't achieved when we hit a brick wall and burn out but it's something that we prepare for. We prepare to rest. And whether that's a weekly Sabbath rest, whether that's an annual retreat or taking time away, it's not just taking a holiday. Please hear that. It's not just taking a holiday, but it's taking intentional time to find rest in Jesus in the busyness and craziness of life. We need to find how we can make that time in our lives. Because we need to be reminded that we're not to just go full pelt, running, sprinting through life. We need to rest and to rest in Jesus and find peace in Him. We live in a time that is busy, crazy and full of distractions. And as I talk to people more and more, it's this generation we deal with more stress and anxiety than than ever before. The distractions that are there are greater than before. might not be new, but there's more of it. And our need for peace is even greater than before. And here's the thing. This search for peace and the answer to this peace is found in the opening pages of Scripture. Right there at the beginning. This is no afterthought. We're, we're, we're almost at the end of the Bible. This is not an afterthought. It is right there in the beginning. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It's there. It was created. It was intended to be part of human life that we rest and we find peace in God. It was there in the beginning. And it is only in God's completed work, in Jesus' completed work, in his death and resurrection, that we can find true peace and rest in life's storm. Any questions before we wrap this up?
think this is, and I don't say this lightly, please hear me, I don't say this lightly. This is one of those things where it is a, a submission and a surrender of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. For the person who puts their faith and their trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is given to them. And the one thing that we are called to do is to rest in the knowledge that Jesus has died and risen from the dead. Now, human nature responds and says, what's the catch? What is the catch? What do I have to do to achieve this? And the answer is nothing. And as much as we feel like there is an answer, we must do something. And we've, look, we've read this through Paul, right? He, said, he, he tells us to do these things. Respect those who labor among you, admonish you, esteem them, admonish the other. He, he, he tell, gives us these things to do. But the final word here is that God who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. And as you read through scripture, the call is to rest in what God has done. Right from the beginning, even with the Israelites, God says, I will provide for you. I will look after you. I will protect you from your enemy. Go about your day. So, yes, there is, a, there is an activity Okay, there is an activity to life. You go about your studies, you go about your work, you go about doing life. But in terms of trying to achieve perfection, achieve holiness, achieve righteousness, achieve the perfection that God calls us to, He actually says, don't do anything. He says, rest. And we find that frustrating. We struggle with that. I struggle with that. I'm like, God, what do I do? What do I need to do to be better? How do I become all that you want me to be? How do I become more like Jesus? And there is no strategy, there is no process, there is no model except to stop and to rest in Jesus. So when I get up and I get frustrated with my kids, I can't go through this checklist of things. Okay, I've got to do this and then I will find peace in my parenting. When I go to work and I go, okay, I've got these jobs to do, God says, you can't stress about that. You have no right to stress about your work. You go about, you do it, and you do it to the best of your ability, but the result of your work, that's mine. When you go around and you build relationships with people, there's no, there's no strategy on how to win friends or... No, Jesus, God says, rest in me. Know that I've done it and I'm going to make you more like Jesus. If there is anything that we can do, and, and please hear me, rest is not passive, it's not inactive. Rest is the deliberate decision not to be distracted by everything else in the world. Rest is being in, the midst of, being in the midst of life storms. Peace, rest is being in the midst of life storms and not being caught up by it. And so whatever distractions, whatever challenges you face, rest and peace is standing back, not being detached from it, not being removed from it, but saying, okay, God, I, I want you here with me and I need your perspective 
I need your understanding, I need your wisdom to walk me through this. Human nature says, but what do I do? What is the process? What is the model? What is the, what is the solution? And, it, and even as I say it, I'm trying to think of a solution. Let me tell you right now, I am trying to give you an answer that you can walk away and say, okay, I know what to do now. But the scriptures and the gospel of Jesus and everything he has done does not allow us to do that. It gives us no room to say, Jesus, thank you, now let me take over. There's no room for that. God, from the very beginning, says, let me. Let me do it. I know it is hard. I know that there is a storm around you that is pulling at you, distracting you. I know that Satan is whispering into your mind and your heart, saying that you need to do something. You're not good enough. There's not enough. You need to do more. But God says, stop. Rest. Find peace. Because it is done. It is finished. And that is the hardest thing, I think, by far in the Christian life, that is the hardest thing to do. Because as God continues to make you more like Jesus, this is the trap. This is the temptation that you, that you think that you've achieved it, that you're there. God, God transforms you and you become more gracious. And you're like, I'm a gracious person. And then you know what's going to happen. God's going to bring someone into your life and you're like, I'm not a gracious person. Or he gives you kids. God gives you gifts and abilities and you you perform well at school, you perform well at work and you're like, I've got this. I I know what I'm doing. let's, Let's go. I've got my life plan. I've got my career plan. Let's go. I've got it all. And then God comes and he brings life storms and he's like, really? No, Jesus has done it. Not you. Your gifts and abilities Yes, they are a blessing to your life and to the others around you and you use them to enjoy life, to make the most of life, to be a blessing to other people. But the moment you said, yep, I've got it, I can do this, we've suddenly lost the point of the gospel. We've suddenly lost the point of, of the grace that we've been given in Jesus and what Jesus has done. And still, right now, I'm still trying to give you an answer that you can walk away with so that you can go and do something. But the answer that we must always come back to, and it is extremely hard, because the temptation is that I give you an answer, and then you're like, great, I'm going to go do it. And next week you come back and say, it didn't work. Because it won't. It is a process of being made more like Jesus, and it is a process that relies and is only successful when we rest in Jesus. And I fight and I struggle with that every day, and I know that you do too. But that is why over and over again, I will say it over and over again, we must rest in the completed work of Jesus. It is done. It is finished. And I will repeat it every week if I have to. Because that's what it fundamentally comes back to. The temptation, the human temptation, the temptation in the Garden of Eden is, is God enough? Is what he has done Is the finished Garden of Eden enough for Adam and Eve? No, it wasn't. I want to be like God. I want to take life into my own hands because what God has done is not enough. 
That is the human temptation. That is the temptation of sin. That is what is at its heart. And every time that we go and stress about work or we stress about our studies, it is because we go, God, it's not enough. The, the, the brain that you have given me, the abilities and the knowledge that you have given me is not enough. I'm going to stress and I'm going to be anxious about this. When we look at our kids and we think about parenting, we feel that the grace and the mercy and the love that God has given us is not enough to parent our children. And we go, I need something else. I need another solution. And I struggle with this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that I've got it all figured out. I'm, I wrestle with this the moment I wake up because it's one of my kids waking up at 5.30. I'm like, I do not want to be woken up. I want to go back to bed. But the reality says, yes, you are being woken up at 5.30 in the morning, but I have given you everything you need. I have created and designed this life so that you can do it. In my grace, in my mercy, in my love, it is done. And it is done in Jesus. And we, when we talk about the gospel, please, when you, when, whenever I talk about the gospel, it's not simply that Jesus loves you, that he died for your sins, and there's heaven waiting for you. That, that's not the gospel. That's just this tiny part of the gospel. We are reminded here that the gospel is about our sanctification. It is about our total transformation into the likeness of Jesus. And when I say that, and we're going over time, but I don't care. When I say this, the danger is that you go, yeah, Jesus is God. No. When Jesus walked this earth, he left his divinity in heaven. You read about it in Philippians. Paul's got his great hymn in chapter 2. Jesus leaves his divinity in heaven and he becomes a man. He empties himself. He, empties, he doesn't fill himself. He empties himself into a man, in the, into the flesh and blood of a man. He empties himself of his divinity and he experiences the storms of life just as you do. And so when he walks through life and he gets to the end and says, it is finished, it is proof, we can do it in Him. It is through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus that dwells within us that will transform us as we rest in the knowledge that it is done. That's all I can say. That's the only answer I can give. Otherwise, I suddenly become a life coach and a motivational speaker. I'm no longer speaking the gospel the moment I move away from that truth. The moment we try and find a solution, we are no longer trusting in God. And I am guilty of that every single day. And the longer we walk this, the harder it becomes. And the more we need to be reminded that it is only in Jesus that we really find rest and peace in this life. I know it doesn't answer your question, but I hope it does. And it's going to be a question that we will ask again and again. And, and we need to have grace on ourselves when we ask those questions, right? We need to have grace because it is recognizing that this is the very reason that Jesus came. Jesus came because he knows, God knows that we struggle. 
He knows that we struggle when we wake up and we've got the exam coming up. And it's like, I am freaking out and I am stressing. He knows that when we wake up and we have this role of patience to see, we have the project at work that has the deadlines looming. He knows that we stress and worry about our kids and that is why Jesus came. And that is why he died and why he rose from the dead so that we might have rest and peace in his grace, mercy and love. And that's my prayer for all of us, for, for you, for me, that we will find this peace, that we will find this peace in the God of peace. And as we sung with the kids, who was, who is and who will continue to sanctify you, who will make you like Jesus. And he will finish that and guarantee that when Jesus comes. It will be done. And we will say, it is finished. And I pray that you will know that he is faithful and that he will do this. And as Paul finishes this letter, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and we come in our brokenness, in our sin, in our temptations and our wrestling through this life that you have given us. Help us to rest, to find peace in you. You are the God of peace. Jesus, you are the Prince of peace. And in your death and resurrection, you have overcome the world and its temptations and its distractions and its anxiety and stress and all that goes with it. And you call us to rest. Because it is finished in Jesus. Help us to understand that. Help us to grasp that truth. But above all, help us to be in that place where we might rest and find peace in Jesus. As we go into our week, help us to see where we do not trust you. And help us to rest in all that you have done for us. Help us to think through these things and understand them. That we might glory in the truth of the gospel as we wrestle with it also. So, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would do that in this coming week. And that the grace of the Lord Jesus would be with us all, myself included. And we pray this in his magnificent name. Amen.